1: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. You know, Alyssa, the changing of the seasons is always a little bit bittersweet, right? I agree. I agree. You know, it's, summer is coming to an end on the calendar. I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of temperature-wise, not, not so much. But on the calendar, it's coming to an end. But what's exciting about that is spooky season stuff is starting to pop up in stores...
0: Aaron, give me a witch's hat Let's wear it the entire month of
1: October I'll wear it all September too I I do not give a fuck But you know, it was the spooky season of times It was the debate season of times Mm. And as spooky season rolls in We know we're getting closer and closer To just the giant headache That will be the 2024 primary season Yeah We've put it off as much as we can We can't do it anymore It's here Fun show this week, Alyssa. We really ran the gamut. Lots of laughs. Lots of laughs. We get into talking about the World Cup, the Women's World Cup final that just happened. World Uh, Cup. We get to to talk about abortion. Abortion. Wow. Surprise. We're talking about abortion on this show.
0: And debates are happening, and we are crying, Uncle. We will pay
1: attention to the debates. Fine. I'll learn who you people are. (laughs) None of you are going to be president. None of you are going to be president. And then we have a really fun interview with University of Oxford English professor Jenny Nuttall, who has written a book about women's language and the words we use to describe female bodies. And and it's super interesting. And then we get into parasocial relationships. And Alyssa, I had no idea about you and Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) Listen, it's a romance
0: Oldest time. <laughs> One-sided. One-sided romance. Oldest time.
1: You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast for people who have only a passing understanding of Photoshop, but know they could design a better t-shirt than any Republican candidate's merch team. Right here. Don't do for, for duty. them.
0: Don't do I it know, for them. But, but still, come on terrible.
1: Just, it's it's really it's really bad. Uh it it looks like it was a lot of their merch, logo stuff looks like it was designed by the same person who designs the like Cash for Gold ad. Yes.
0: Stuff. Also, do you do you think Donald Trump's ma- uh Make America Great Hats are still made in China? Yes.
1: Yes, I do. If they're not <laughs> made in China, they're they're made in another place that you know, not that is isn't America. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. So, you know, we're 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 talking debate. It's debate season. We're begrudgingly mm-hmm. admitting, fine, fine, fine.
0: it's fine. here. It's we have here. to pay attention.
1: But you know, there are little moments of uh, the drudgery of the early primary season where you have to remember people like Lincoln Chafee. You know, like people. who oh, are just yeah, like, this person isn't like, remember him. You're, yeah, it's, it's just like this person is not going to be somebody that I need to remember long term, and um. I can't believe I have to devote energy to learning anything about them right now. But I'd like to open with uh, with a little moment of brightness, because there are little okay. moments of brightness in this kind of dark times. So <laughs> I'd like to open with a reading from Wednesday morning's Politico playbook, which is a publication that, you know, is is really useful if you just kind of want to get the lay of the land for the day. Um, okay, It's where I begrudgingly read when I want to know what the worst people in the world are complaining about to reporters. Okay, so... Spotted part two. White House hopeful and former rep Will Hurd, r Texas, standing next to a smoothie king in Chicago's O'Hare International Airport yesterday, railing against the RNC for keeping him from the debate stage. The former congressman and Trump critic had been in the Windy City for debate prep. Okay. And here's why there's like drama. He flew all the way to Chicago to prepare for this debate in Milwaukee. A few days ago, this is again from Playbook, a few days ago, Heard believed he'd cleared the RNC's threshold for the debate stage. He surpassed 40,000 individual donors and hit one percent or higher in three state polls and two national polls. But late Monday, the RNC informed Heard that he didn't qualify for the debate. Ditto for two other Republicans who thought they'd made it, Perry Johnson and Larry Elder. Don't know him. Don't know him. Since then, these three candidates have railed against the RNC. Johnson and Elder have threatened to sue heard told playbook that the rnc is cherry picking polls to keep him from the stage i'm tied with nikki haley and vice president pence in new hampshire but they cherry pick because they don't want me on stage heard told playbook this is not just about silencing me it's about silencing all the people that want to see someone like me on stage all the people (laughs) so many people the one So i kind
0: of agree with him I feel like this debate is a real wreck. You know what I mean? It's like Trump wanted to have his people in the spin room, which is an absurd request, by the way. And like Fox was going to let them. But then yesterday, I think at two o'clock, they pulled the Trump credentials from the spin room because they're like, no, we're drawing a line. But also, I think Will Hurd is right. I think there's
1: no more room left on the stage. And they're like, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, uh, we only have seven podiums. So, So obviously, if you're listening to this, we record on Wednesday morning, so we're not. Yeah, we're not going to give you a debate recap for Thursday morning. We're, we're, we're not. We're not going to stay up that late. These people are not worth us staying up that late. Um, but it is. You know, it's also true that they're. They're only thirty-eight. Million fifty-six thousand three hundred and seventy-eight seconds between now and when the polls close in Wisconsin <laughs> on election day 2024. Um, and so we gotta talk, we gotta talk about this. Since we can't talk about what actually happened, we're gonna give some predictions. Alyssa, what are some okay. of your predictions? Okay,
0: Erin, here's um prediction number one: Nikki Haley is going to need 10 Advil tomorrow to recover from twisting herself into a knot from giving her abortion answer tonight.
1: Ooh. Yeah, okay. Number
0: 1. Number okay. 1. Um uh Vivek is obviously going to rap at some point. It's his whole shtick, right? Like he's going to rap.
1: Uh, I would right. prefer he didn't. Oh, but he will,
0: and I think uh my last prediction is that everyone will agree that Chris Christie was the smartest person on stage and he will still never break 2%. Yep, every
1: I think everybody who is in the political media talking about it will be like, Chris Christie was impressive. Here's a prediction that I have, and this is a little bit more like serious and down the line. Everybody, everybody sleeps on Mike Pence as a debater. And, you know, I think that, that during his debate with Kamala Harris in 2020, I think she won, but not, It wasn't the like stomping that a lot of people thought that it would be. Totally agree. And, you know, he is a person whose career before he was in politics was like connecting with people in like through Mm -hmm. a microphone. And uh, I think that if Mike Pence gets a chance to actually answer some questions, he could end up looking like the competent adult on stage. And that's why I worry. I worry constantly, but I worry specifically that Donald Trump not coming to this debate is going to. It is going to be like the butterfly flapping its wings that leads us to Mike Pence being the nominee of the uh, Republican Party through some kind of weird split primary or like there's he's disqualified because he's a a felon now or, or whatever happened. Like I just I could just I can see in one version of the universe where Mike Pence ends up as a result of this becoming the nominee. I could. I hope I'm wrong. I hate the guy, but let I, me tell you: all eyes on Mike Pence. Then that's who I'm watching I tonight. Have no eyes on Mike Pence. I don't yeah, want to. I on. don't want to listen to him talk. I, I, you know, as as Tommy Vitor says, he's like a he's like a community theater Ronald Reagan. He's he reminds <laughs> me of sort of like the the guy your mom marries after she gets clean and sober and finds religion, but like too much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, she finds religion, like, but too much and the wrong religion, and she is, like, addicted to her church, and she gets married to Mike Pence, uh, who is, like, makes you raise a calf and kill it at the end of the county fair. Oh, Like, shit. he seems like that kind of, like, stern. That's fucked up. Remember yeah. that
0: story from last summer? That's they do
1: that up. every summer with 4-H kids. I don't, they them- I know. It's
0: really, it's really deranged.
1: Yeah. He <laughs> just seems like an evangelical stepdad to me, and uh, I don't want him to be... Okay. To- yeah, anyway. I maybe I maybe I should be telling this to my therapist. Um <laughs> any predictions about Senator Scott? I don't know. Like <laughs> he doesn't I mean, he just
0: he doesn't make sense to me in this race, but like, you know, God bless him. I mean, he's a look, I have heard he is a thoughtful, nice man who I politically would never agree with.
1: Oh. And he's got garbage ideas garbage opinions uh yeah and-
0: I mean Aaron who on the stage tonight won't have garbage ideas I mean this is like the whole problem with the fact that there's no democratic primary the only people we have to pay attention to are people we are just absolutely constitutionally incapable of getting on board with
1: but here's something that I that I'll say that is is a good thing about this whole process so because huh. there is no democratic, just clusterfuck going on mm-hmm. at the same time as the Republican clusterfuck. Republicans that are competing for the primary nomination are trying to appeal to Republican primary voters. At the same time, everybody's watching them. So general election voters who are like, you know, I consider myself a moderate, but they're actually good point. kind of a Republican, are going to see them like spouting this absolutely bonkers cuckoo banana shit during the primary season. And they're going, I mean, that's going to be fresh in their mind. So I, I think that-, mm. that when only one party has a nomination that's up for grabs, that puts a lot of pressure on the nominee to be a real big fucking hypocrite. And now a lot of these people don't have like problems doing it, you know, especially Donald Trump. He's, he's kind of, it's his whole thing is just saying whatever he feels like he needs to say in the moment. Um, but, you know, I think that these other candidates who don't have like the Teflon Don coding, uh, which, by the way, contains PFAS, uh, <laughs> the other candidates are, are not as they, – they don't as easily get away from having their, their own words as Donald Trump does. And, and I think if the nominee isn't Donald Trump for whatever reason, even though it does look like it's going to be, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just going to have to – they're, they're going to have to do some backpedaling. So I hope their hamstrings are strong. <laughs> um okay let's uh, I, 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 another reason I think you and I don't love talking about this like primary pomp and circumstance is yeah. that in the national media it sort of takes oxygen away yes. from stories that like actually on the ground affect people affect people's lives like in the moment and not mm-hmm. just like m- giddy up the political media so like let's talk a little bit about what is happening in states meanwhile as everybody's They're- talking about the debate
0: is some fuckery afoot, as there always is. And Aaron, we commit to all of our hysteria listeners that we will not take our eye off the ball this election season because a fly on Mike Pence's head is not going to stop us from talking about what's happening in South Carolina and Indiana this week. So first, South Carolina Supreme Court, just a bit ago Wednesday when we record, upheld a ban on abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. The all-male court holds that there is no right to abortion under the right to privacy language in the state's constitution.
1: Aaron. not great, not great, and because it's a it's a state matter, so this can't get appealed further. Right, right, okay. Right then. Follow me to Indiana. Indiana's near-total
0: abortion ban uh, is set to take effect within days after the Indiana Supreme Court, in a four-to-one decision on Monday, denied a rehearing in the case brought by the American Civil Liberties Union of Indiana. The denial of the rehearing means that the ban will take effect once a June 30th ruling upholding the ban is certified, a procedural step expected to take just days. Erin. What does this what are, mean so, again? What does this mean again? Indiana's Republican back ban ends most abortions in the state, even in the earliest stages of pregnancy. Indiana's six abortion clinics stopped providing abortions last month ahead of the ban officially taking effect. So that's great. Um, one, one bright spot. Who do we love? We love J.B. Pritzker. Governor, Governor J.B. Pritzker, their uh, Indiana's neighbor to the West, uh, Governor Pritzker, on Monday signed House Bill 3326, which limits other states' ability to access automatic license plate reader data in Illinois to punish someone from out-of-state seeking an abortion in Illinois. Now, before everyone gets all worked up, the license plate data can still be used to track actual crimes. Okay. The Republicans in Illinois were like, you can't do this because what if someone in Missouri rapes an underage woman and it tries to drive her to Illinois for an abortion and you can't track their license plate? What? But anyway, their bad faith attempt to run this. is never ever
1: going to happen. Okay, so what if a thing that would never happen? That would never happen. It's crazy. But
0: J.B. Pritzker was like, don't worry. We'll include that. We'll include the fact that, yes, it can still be used for actual crimes. And if you're in Indiana and need help accessing abortion care, the Hoosier Abortion Fund is there to help you along with Planned Parenthood and AbortionFinder.org. These will all be in our show notes.
1: Okay, so it looks it sounds like Illinois is really setting itself up to be an abortion uh, tourism
0: abortion tourism is right. that what's I happening
1: wisconsin w- <laughs> wisconsin's abortion ban still stands although there is you know there are challenges going through state courts and now the state supreme court is uh liberal thanks to judge janet protosewitz's uh, election yes but there's fuckery afoot in wisconsin too i don't know if you've heard about this but robin voss the speaker of the house in wisconsin is threatening to impeach judge protosewitz unless she recuses herself from certain cases yeah fuck off Yeah. Well, they do have they do have a a veto proof majority. So they could they could impeach her. Um, Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's. um, Wow. That's fucking dark. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if that's really what uh, I don't know if they want to, like, put their dick in that hornet's nest. That's like completely undermining the will of the people of the state. Yeah. You know, I mean, and
0: an overwhelming will, by the way.
1: Yeah, 11 points. 11 points, 11 in, points. A, in a 51-49 state. Like, it's, I don't know. Uh, so people from uh, Wisconsin currently seeking care in places like Minnesota, uh, Illinois. At, meanwhile, Ohio chugging toward November. And that a Bell- special wood. election where they could enshrine abortion rights for people of their state. In the Constitution. So, uh, yeah, our, our, our hopes are with you, state of Ohio. And uh, we are, again, disappointed in state Supreme Courts. Um, I, I, I'm i willing to bet that nobody on any of those state Supreme Courts could become pregnant. Just going to bet.
0: I You know what, Aaron? I'm going to bet you're right about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've also got some uh, more unpleasant news. oh uh, Aaron. I, okay. I, I deliberately Ugh. avoided getting into this topic because— Every time I read about this person, I feel like I'm gonna black out with rage. Here's how
0: I feel about this. Um He is so deranged uh, that we're gonna cover it, but we're gonna keep it brief because okay, good. this need this needs very little editorializing because Aaron, we're about to uh, talk about a man who hates women's autonomy and is the opposite of a benevolent rich guy like J.B. Pritzker. Elon Musk. Elon Musk must have watched The Handmaid's Tale. He's like, Gilead seems like a utopia. Let's see if we can do it. A Bloomberg report revealed Monday that he's backed that up with a $10 million donation to a fertility and population research project. You know why, Aaron? Why? Elon Musk thinks that we need more people. On this planet, that population is the biggest problem facing the planet, not climate change, not not anything else, Aaron. He thinks that we need more people to make this place better.
1: Hard, hard disagree. Well, population decline is the biggest threat to capitalism. Because like oh. it, it threatens, it threatens, uh, it threatens like in like forever growth, even though forever growth is not possible without the destruction of all of our resources. But anyway, carry on.
0: The money he gave uh, was the money he gave was actually given through the Musk Foundation to the University of Texas Austin. Uh, in 2021, but its exact purpose was unclear until Bloomberg's report linked it to the Population Wellbeing Initiative, which is a joint project of the university's Population Research Center and its economics department. Through its research, it looks into fertility, the future of population, and economic growth. Wait for it. A paper produced by the PWI and co-written by its director includes a projection that, based on declining fertility rates, quote, humanity is four-fifths over, and without reversal, it's possible that, quote, humanity depopulates with cruelty. Erin, this is what someone with so much fucking money is giving his money to. He was on uh, he was on Tucker Carlson's no longer existent show back in April ranting about abortion and birth control. And in uh, some some other other piece I read about him, I was like, you know what? One of the interesting things uh, in all of the shit that's been written about Elon Musk this week is about Starlink and the war in Ukraine and how he could really help the Ukrainians but he like is kind of down with Putin he's kind of down with Putin and he just doesn't think it's fair he thinks that Ukraine should be redrawn and that we should negotiate with Putin for peace because I don't know he doesn't seem like a bad guy and a friend of his gave a quote and I think this is all we need to know about Elon Musk quote Elon desperately wants the world to be saved, but only if he can save it.
1: Okay. I think that really contributes to his own sense of grandiosity because this man <sighs> did not invent anything. This man does not program things. This man buys companies and then like forces people out and then makes yeah. everybody pretend that he invented it. Like there's there's a whole bunch of stuff coming out about Tesla now. Tesla – Uh Baked its battery life, yeah, and then and then when people tried to call about its battery life not being what it was advertised, they um, essentially were directed to a call center that existed to hang up to get people to stop trying to fix the batteries. Tesla has also, like, developed car battery, like, this expectation around um, electric vehicles that they should have a range that is, like, kind of impossible without a huge battery. And you can't have a huge battery without a ton of, like, metals mined from West Africa that is controlled by places like you – know, the people like the Wagner Group. Like, it is just – Right. It, there are so many problems with the promise that Tesla set and could not meet. And you know now it's 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 they they don't really work that well in the rain or the snow. They can't really tell when there's like children in the way of them. Like they're not uh, good car. Like they're they're not good cars. They're problematic.
0: Like they're founder. problematic.
1: Exactly. And and I feel as though a lot of people have said this, but just to echo, Elon Musk is a person who's good at convincing people with a lot of power that he's a genius. He is not necessarily a genius. Right. He's a he's a salesman, and. This is another example of our country being run by people who are too old to sense bullshit when some razzle-dazzle tech guy comes in and makes a bunch of promises that are objectively impossible. There's nobody in that room in like a, you know, a congressional committee that's like, mm, "Actually, I'm familiar with this stuff and this doesn't make sense or like, Right. I'm familiar with this and this doesn't, we have, our country is run by a bunch of people who print out their emails. No <laughs> offense, <laughs> Alyssa. <laughs> but like, Fuck I you. do. It, I do it when I'm going to take notes. I do it when, I, when I'm going to take notes on them, but I don't do it when I'm going to read them. I'm like, I'm saying oh, like, like okay. someone coming to the office and telling their assistant, can you print out my emails? Like that's not you.
0: Uh,
1: I was just making a note that, you know, it's, it's that was you
0: know, good. For... No, you know what? We need it. We need it. Cause, cause good nature. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. S- speaking of not just a little side note here. Uh, as we have, read all of how, uh, you know, Elon Musk is like, I don't know. He talked to Putin. He's all Putin. And you just you just mentioned the Wagner group. Well, as we're recording, there is breaking news that Wagner boss Prigozhin is listed among passengers in a plane crash. The man who led a short-lived coup against the Kremlin's been in a plane crash.
1: Just saying. Anyway. If, if I had led a short-lived coup, I'm just going to say, just to, to throw in this confusion, if I had helped run a short-lived coup against Vladimir Putin and I did not get immediately executed as a result Mm. of that, I would be very motivated to fake my death. So,
0: oh, okay. Is this going to be think, the lifetime movie we've been waiting for?
1: I can see both sides. I I love stories when people fake their death or when there's questions about whether or not they fake. I, that, yes. I'm a sucker for a fake death. Where was the plane car- crash? Was it in the Philippines? Because if it was we're in not, the Philippines. No, we're not.
0: It's um, it's unclear. This is literally splashed across my TV as breaking news.
1: Okay. Because if it was in the Philippines, I would guarantee that that was a fake death. A lot of people who die in the Philippines, there's, oh my gosh. Anyway, it's a whole thing. That
0: would mean forgosian ends up on next season of 90 day fiance
1: <laughs> <laughs> wearing like one of those uh mustaches and plastic yeah. noses and like yeah um i would <laughs> i would say that morally he would probably be better than some of the people that have been on that show uh,
2: you hey. know what?
0: it's probably not probably not <laughs> untrue
1: <laughs> all right so elon musk sucks that's what happens when uh flashy billionaires convince a bunch of old people that they're geniuses um, we need more tech savvy people in government
0: or like, some benevolent geniuses.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the rich will not save us. They just, they won't. No, The, the type of personality no. it takes to acquire that much wealth is, uh, unless you literally inherit it or like get it in a divorce, like Mackenzie Scott, um, the type of person you have to be in order to get that rich is not good. You have to not be yeah, a good person. I think
0: you're right about that. Oh, speaking, speaking of, of not good,
1: <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> okay, Mackenzie Scott has given away half her wealth. I, I yes. just read she's given away half of it in like three years. So she's—I think she's good. But let's—I want to hear about not good. Let's go. No, you have no. Next up is also not good. Oh, okay. Yes, you're right. Not good. Oh yeah, Okay, <laughs> men ruining things. Right, men ruining so- things left and right. So, Spain just won its first ever Women's World Cup. Super exciting. So exciting. Uh, it, ce- it celebrated with a huge party in Madrid on Monday, but the victory was a little bit tarnished by what happened during the medal ceremony. Um, the head of the Royal Spanish Football Federation planted a non consensual kiss on the lips of Spain's Jennifer Hermoso. Uh, so, yeah. It's it's pretty bad. That you know, was Federation, disgusting. It was disgusting. His name is Luis Rubiales and he's being roundly criticized, thank goodness, by uh, including by Spain's very handsome prime minister. And the reason I'm mentioning he's handsome is because Fiona put it in the outline. Yes, yes, noted. I googled Adrian. Thank you, Thank you, Fiona. Thank you, Fiona. Uh, but this uh, this is not the only hurdle that the Spanish players are facing. Their coach is like a bad person, mm-hmm. um, and uh, all of the the f- what what a World Cup victory should be is about the accomplishments of the players and a celebration of them being just at the top of their game. But Spain's incredible achievement is being eclipsed by this. Dumb shit. But of course, you know, Spain wasn't the only country in the Women's World Cup final who had their moment of sports excellence partially eclipsed by dumbass behavior by important men. Prince William was apparently too busy being King Jr., I don't know, and important to even attend the World Cup <laughs> final. Deputy Fe- King? Yeah, Deputy <laughs> King. Vice King. He's the Vice King. Vice King. King. <laughs> um, he was too important to even attend. Uh, his country was in the World Cup final, and he didn't even go but you know hey at least what? he didn't that's crazy yeah. yeah at least he didn't go all Pepe Le Pew on one of his country's top female athletes so there's that. I mean that's true upside yeah he could send an edible arrangement to Luis Rubiales <laughs> as a thank you for hiding the fact that he did a he made a, a shitty decision um, as an important figure in his country he should have gone and that would not have happened if that was the men no way no
0: way no way that's fucking ill. I hate that. Sexism.
1: I'm calling sexism. I'm calling it sexism. The card has been Cards down. Okay. Sexism card. Okay. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. We have a really fun interview with a linguist who studies women's words throughout the history of our language. Stick around for that. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast that has long been on the hunt for a better word for menstruation. Our guest today is a professor of English at the University of Oxford. Heard of it. She's just published her first nonfiction book, Mother Tongue, The Surprising History of Women's Words. Jenny Nuttall, welcome to Hysteria. Hi, thanks for having me on. First of all, congrats on the book. I know that it's hard to write a book and get it through that whole process, and it must be a relief to finally have it out. What prompted you to write it in the first place?
2: Well, it was a a mix of things, sort of personal and professional and kind of political in a way. I teach at Oxford, and I often had students stop and ask me interesting questions about words and tutorials, and I would go and find out the answers. And then I have a 15-year-old Daughter, so for the last few years I've been thinking about the words I use with her and kind of talking to she likes asking questions about words as well. And then I was also as as women were starting to address all sorts of topics in their their lives, it, it made me think a lot more about the vocabulary. So I got thinking about where do the words we use today come from. And then because I teach the very oldest literature and language, old English, medieval English, I started thinking a lot about um, were there earlier words that we've forgotten? Is it, is it that the, the modern words we have now are the only words that express some of these things to do with women's bodies and their lives and their experiences? Or could we go back and find some, some older words and maybe think about modern words by thinking about words that existed in the past?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it must feel a little bit meta talking about your work and the way the English language handles women on a podcast featuring women's voices that we ironically named hysteria. Um, You've spent some time studying, thinking and writing on the word hysteria. So can you go into why it's so loaded?
2: Yeah and you know even now it's interesting that sometimes when a someone uses that word about a woman there's a, there's a real backlash still because we know it's it's an important word um the interesting thing perhaps is you don't get that word in English until the the mid 18th century and you don't even get the adjective um hysterical until the 17th century and the the history of hysteria i guess this fits with your podcast, things are always a bit more complicated and interesting and kind of rich than than you would think on first sight. There has always been a tendency to attribute certain things to do with women to to the influence of their womb and, and also descriptions of kind of um, breath, breathlessness and suffocation. But it, it hasn't always been one thing, hysteria. And, you know, from, uh, in the, in the, 17th 18th centuries perhaps there were people thinking well hang on, there are symptoms that men and women both get. Um, so the, you know what we call hysteria in women is the same as hypochondria in men. so it's it has had a great history of of sexism, and misogyny. Um, but people have always kind of challenged used that word to kind of challenge that idea. Hysterical first turns up in English when someone's trying to challenge an accusation of witchcraft, um, a kind of diff- different stereotype. And it's only really in the, in the 19th century that perhaps that idea we have that it's a diagnosis that's really being used to put women in their place and kind of keep women subordinate kind of hardened up again and gets fixed. So, it, so like lots of these words, they have this kind of stretchy, varying history. And I wanted to kind of track some of those histories in the book.
1: Mm-hmm. So what are some of your favorite words or linguistic evolutions that you talk about in the book?
2: Yeah, I mean, I love, it was interesting to go back and find some of the, the earlier words for parts of women's bodies for female anatomy. We, we're stuck with these rather kind of Latinate uh, formal terms, all the, all the kind of body parts you try and match up with the diagram. And it was interesting to go back and find some of the vernacular Synonyms. So the vulva might be called a wicket, which is just a word for a little gate, or the vagina could be the <laughs> the womb port, which is a way of talking about you know those kind of big passages that let you in and out of a kind of walled city. um <laughs> Labia could be called nymphs, which is a kind of classical thing, but you know it gives gives you a more kind of interesting idea. the The womb was was often called the mother, the but but in Latin, the matrix, and sometimes in English, a matrix. And I like like the idea of the kind of place where things get replicated. So I was always having great fun. It's a kind of what-if book. I'm not really saying we can bring back these old words, but I'm saying kind of what, you know, we've got this one, but what if we had those ones? And I think those plainer words for body parts are a bit more user-friendly, perhaps, than some of the, the kind of anatomical, Latinate, gynecological stuff that we're stuck with now. Mm-hmm. I, I, for one,
1: kind of want to start calling my uterus the Matrix. I think that would be, uh, <laughs> it's very catchy. It works well in a movie poster. Um, are there any words that we've forgotten about that you think we as women should be using more?
2: Um, I mean, I think um, there's, there's such a great history of kind of working women's words and words that capture the the kind of reality of juggling work and home. I like that um, our modern word drudgery comes from a word drudge that's that's used as a, a name for a female servant. And it's a kind of truth telling word, you know, what what is drudgery? It's the thing that the drudge does. And you can track in a lot of these words, the the way in which in the periods of history I'm interested in, women were kind of pushed out to the margins of the economy and kept Um, you know, very difficult to to make your living as a single woman for a lot of these periods, women kept in kind of service jobs and kind of marginal jobs. So you also get that overlap between words for um, young women working as servants and women selling sex for a living. I think partly because, you know, they were often a kind of overlapping population, this kind of vulnerable population. So we have words like wench, um, single woman, which is a kind of legal term that gets given to women who aren't married in the Middle Ages, becomes a way of describing a sex worker for for a period. So you can kind of really track these... um, I'm not sure I'd want to bring any of them back, but I like, the, I like the way they kind of map some of our own thinking that we're doing about kind of where we are in terms of work and home and women in the economy and, and kind of how things all, all fit together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, on, on the subject of women's labor, I, I find it really interesting currently kind of how the English language is almost weaselly about classifying the work that women do as work. Is that something that has existed linguistically for you know for a long time, or is that something that's sort of a, a kind of modern invention to get women to do more actual labor than their male counterparts?
2: Oh okay, yeah, I mean you certainly find all of those those kind of help meet helper stereotypes um, early on. Help meet, interestingly, is a is a kind of misunderstanding. Um, it's it's not a thing. It turns up in a kind of Bible translation. It means to be a help, a, a fit help for him, a meat help, and it gets put together as a kind of compound. And, and then we get this kind of image that, that women, as you say, are being pushed into. But, but language can help us, the language of the past can help us think through a lot of this to, to, to mother, meaning to kind of parent in a particular way is a, is a really late, sense of that word uh, you know victorian 19th century and before that there are much more um then the the verbs are much more to do with the doing you know who's fostering who's caring who's tending who's nursing and there's much less sense that that should be the mother and there's a lot of back and forth about what mothers should be doing whether they should be breastfeeding you know and whether they should be um homemaking that sort of thing but that there is also a kind of um a realism in language that these these are not, women are, are kind of juggling all sides of these things so they're often working uh, particularly married women if you look at the historical data working outside of the the home um, and it's there's no kind of there's no language kind of betrays the the reality that there's no assumption um, about, about what women are doing. And I think I wanted in the book to to, to offer as many sort of historical surprises as I could that we tend to have a quite sort of flat one-dimensional version of just how um, limited and subordinated women were in the past. But if you really kind of dig into it, you can find some things that might sort of open our eyes a bit. C- certainly I w- wouldn't want to time travel and go back, but, mm-hmm. but the language is a clue to some of the the ways in which women were kind of finding their way around these kind of stereotypes and 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 corners into which they were being painted mm-hmm.
1: yeah i think as as women were sort of led to believe that uh progress has been linear and constant, and you know it's it's always we've it, we've been getting better steadily since the the bad old days and it It sounds like in your book you confront that and you explore that um, and and how that might actually be a misapprehension, which is super interesting. Um, I also saw, you know, you mentioned you have a 15-year-old daughter. Um, So you sort of have a front row seat to some (laughs) linguistic uh, evolutions yourself, as probably as you're watching her communicate. Um, What has she taught you about the way that language is evolving now in the youngest young adults?
2: Yeah, it I mean it's so interesting to see, you know, there's this linguistic process called called taboo where there are certain topics that we don't want to talk about very plainly or openly. Um often things to the body that we that we don't want to kind of share in a in a public well it's so interesting to see. I think even when I was growing up at school there wasn't so much openness talking about menstruation say and the the different products and kind of how it feels to go through it but she and her friends very definitely talk quite straightforwardly in this and will talk very straightforwardly to me and actually the the inspiration for the book came from her kind of marching in through the door from school one day having had a kind of you know she was doing her best she was quite young she was kind of working out how to manage menstruation as, as a school pupil and she just said Period is a really boring word because she was cross that it didn't capture the reality of it, and I remember thinking, yeah, it really isn't, and menstruation is too formal, and the, and then that and we, and we and the slang words are terrible. So, so as someone who works with old language, I was just thinking, right. Where else can I go? And I thought, let's go back to the dictionaries, and found out that these words that are to do with. Time period and menstruation to do with months are quite late, and if you go further back in English, uh, menstruation is called things like runnings and issues and fluxes because it just describes the kind of phys- the, you know, the kind of liquidness of it. Um, and there are some euphemisms, but yeah, I was sort of. It was really nice to be able to kind of offer her. Something. Um, yeah, the the rest of the time she's just telling me that anything I might think or say is kind of so old fashioned. I should be quiet.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you do study like the oldest of the old English language, so th- I think she might have a point. That you yeah. know, you are you are you talking about old fashioned English? That um, you know, the 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 different terms for periods. Did any of them take off with your daughter or her peer group? The
2: the one everyone. Likes a lot. And actually some of the the 20, 30 somethings who work in the office of my publishers in the the UK, it's it's a very rare word. It's kind of used in a a medical text, but and it is a bit of a euphemism. It's a bit formal, but lunation to do with the kind of lunar cycle of the moon. And actually, we know that periods are not necessarily tuned into the mood. Um, So lunation. In medieval English periods, there is a, a euphemism, but it's flowers. You say, you know, a woman is on her flowers, and that's that's what they're called in lots of different kind of European vernaculars. Partly because it's making a connection between menstruation and fertility. So you need you need the kind of regular menstruation, just as you would have flowers preceding fruit. But it, you know, I mean, why why couldn't we have kept that? That would be so much. I find that I don't even kind of. S- say I'm on my period. I just sort of go, you know, and kind of mouth and wag my <laughs> eyebrows and things like that. Whereas, you know, you just say, oh, flowers, it's flower time. I'm on my flowers. And we could just go. And, the, you know, they are very broadly called flowers in medieval Renaissance English. And I just thought, well, that would have been great to keep. Yeah,
1: let's bring it back. There's no reason we can't bring it back. So your book is, is just coming out worldwide, but it has been out in the UK for a few months. What's the reaction been? And also, Where and how can our listeners get their hands on a copy?
2: So I think it's coming out with Viking and, you know, in the next week or so it should be all over social media, I hope. And in all the, Book sources, There's a um, going to be an American audio book which has been beautifully, beautifully done, and you can imagine the poor audio voice artist who had to kind of tackle all of these different words and kind of old languages. And she, she and I became best mates because we just kind of talked, <laughs> talk, talked a lot about how you could pronounce any of this stuff, and the list of queries ran to you know pages and pages no it's it's been great and it seems to you know it it kind of seems to matter you know lots of my students and um other people of their age seem to kind of like it and particularly as a way into kind of women's history and gender history um um and then yeah kind of it I went to a book festival in Suffolk and did a talk at 11 o'clock and they'd sold out of all the copies by tea time. So I think if, you know, it's kind of meeting a nice reception. Oh, well, that's that's great news.
1: You can check out Jenny Nuttall's new book, Mother Tongue, The Surprising History of Women's Words, wherever you get your books. You can probably pre-order it. It's coming out this week. Highly recommended, super interesting stuff. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. I have to, I refuse to be
0: uncomfortable I refi- if I want to be productive. I
1: refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. yeah, perfect. Perfect for couch okay. napping.
0: Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at Viori.com slash Hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot slash Hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viori.com slash Hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast with an endless supply of napkins in the glove box. Alyssa, how many different restaurants, napkins do you have in your Honestly, box?
0: so many. I, I That was one of the funniest things you've ever come up with, Erin, because my car is full of napkins from random places across Columbia County.
1: It almost feels, I've got them from across the country. I'll sometimes open up my glove box and I'll be like, oh, I remember when we stopped at that place in Kansas like yep. two years ago. Huh. Interesting. (laughs) Uh, But you got to be prepared. You can never have too many Always. Okay. Bringing in our panel, excited to talk about our topic this week. Our first panelist is a comedian going on tour in the Midwest this fall. She's hitting Chicago, Columbus, Cincinnati, and Indianapolis at the end of September. Wow. Those cities will not know what hit them. Megan Gailey, welcome to Hysteria. Hello. And I just made the TikTok feta
5: egg. Did it work? It was good. It's a, it takes a lot of feta. You got to use like. Yes. A, that I was like, oh, OK. I, listen, you put enough cheese into anything, it's going to be good. But we're using a lot
4: of feta here.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was like this. I, I tried to make it a couple of times and I was like, this is one of those recipes that, do, that doesn't work.
4: Is it not just a sprinkling of feta around the outside? No. It's no. like because you got to use cover. enough that the feta, when it melts,
1: joins together.
5: It's like a moat of feta. They're making it look like a
1: sprinkling, but it's way more. It's so much. And or you have to have an egg with a giant white because then (laughs) the the egg white could like unify everything. But I ended up getting a bunch of like really delicious pieces of feta stuck to. Loved it. No, it tasted like saganaki.
5: It was it was
1: so good. But it's like I'm (laughs) using
5: three quarters of a cup of feta on my breakfast. Right. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, yeah, I, TikTok. There's, there's some sort of TikTok feta conspiracy going on. Ooh,
5: that new cottage new cheese. Years. Follow the cottage cheese. Oh, there was a New <laughs> York and... Times article about this cottage cheese.
0: You I'm guys like, planted that no.
4: story.
5: I, Caroline,
0: is my witness. I watched the entire Bethany Frankel taste test of feta of uh, cottage <laughs> cheeses. And having never eaten cottage cheese in my life, have some in my fridge now based wow. on your recommendation. So
5: I've, been, I've loved yes. cottage cheese since birth. And now I'm it's like truly a band I've loved has become popular. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, welcome like on the was, bandwagon.
1: I've got super specific preferences when it comes to cottage cheese. the a curd size, whey consistency, yeah. general saltiness. Like I You're have, from Wisconsin. Eating, You're a connoisseur. I feel like... I feel like Midwestern kids whose moms are of a certain generation always had cottage cheese in their house because it was always like sold to to women of that age as a diet food. Oh my god! I
4: I just had summer flashbacks of like swimming in a pool and then being like, "Ooh, I should eat healthy." And so my lunch was just half a cantaloupe with a scoop of cottage cheese in the middle. I thought that was like a chic, like very chic. (laughs) It was.
0: Was there one sliced strawberry on top? Because that's the true lady presentation. No, but that's. The
4: Midwest. We were just <laughs> now you country know. imitators. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that fourth voice you're hearing is rounding out our panel. She is the author of a few books and the host of the podcast, Noble Blood. Los Angeles listeners, she'll be a dynasty typewriter this Saturday as part of a show Woo! raising money for the entertainment community fund. Dana Schwartz, welcome to Hysteria.
4: Thank you so much for having me. Sorry, I couldn't help but weigh in on the on the cottage cheese discourse. <laughs>
1: Was that pun intended way, W
3: H E Y?
4: This is I will say, speaking of way, I homemade ricotta cheese. And Ooh. that was just like a thing that I was like, maybe that's just who I am now. Um, it was a lot of work and not a lot of ricotta cheese at the end of the day. All right. Hmm.
5: Can you can you tell we're on strike that we're really yeah. circling back to <laughs> making things in our house?
1: Oh, man. Every time I get an email from the WGA, I'm like, this is going to make me mad. And it does. It does.
4: I'm so desperate for a sense of purpose. I've become someone who <laughs> yesterday babysit.
5: I baked bread. I'm baking, yeah, bread,
1: today. <laughs> I'm baking <laughs> bread today. I'm baking bread today. <laughs> oh my god, this is like COVID too. I know. Uh for for people who are working as as writers, not for me though cuz I'm I'm doing podcasting work to make up for it and mm-hmm. just annoying the shit out of myself by reading about politicians like Will Heard who I don't want to know who he is and the news is fit forcing me to and it fucking sucks. Um But here's another thing that's going on this summer besides, you know, all the multiple strikes. Um, Sometimes there is a frenzy that happens around a specific cultural event or person that I just don't fully get. And that, like, it's fine. Like, not everything is for me. Not getting something doesn't mean the thing itself is bad or, like, I'm too good, whatever. It just just means I don't get it. Like, I'm not connecting with it. For me this summer, it is, like, Taylor Swift mania and the level of focus and concentration that so many women that I know Mm -hmm. from multiple walks of life, different backgrounds, different geographic locations, different lifestyle choices, everything, they are all so into Taylor Swift. they are so invested in Taylor Swift they care so much about they, they think she's sending the messages and I'm she like she is though she is, <laughs> is I feel like I'm discovering that like half of my close friends are part of like a, a religion and it's their annual festival and I just like had no idea that they were in this religion um Dana, I want to – I
4: feel like you're probably in. You're, you're yeah. in are Yeah. Am I Taylor the only Sus- Swifty here? Am I the only one who went to Eras Tour? I think I so. I did yeah. not go to Eras. Tour. I did not go. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so I'm tell a me, Swifty.
1: T- tell me about that journey. Like, were you always as devoted as what seems to be the, like, the the norm for Swifties? Or is that something that's just an uptick during the Eras Tour time?
4: No. I mean, I I'm a 30-year-old mm-hmm. white woman. And so – I just feel like my, it's like, you know, like there's a demographic that like Harry Potter, like we came of age with it. Like we came of age with Taylor Swift. So it's like when she was 16, I was like, you know, 14 or 13 releasing these songs that I was like, oh my God. And so for the last like 15 years, she has been as an artist, like a major part of my life in the sense that like every time she released an album, it corresponded to like a piece of like my adolescence. Like I'm very nostalgic in weird ways because I remember where I was at and like which boys (laughs) I was projecting onto each song as it came out. I was like, oh my God, when this song came out, I thought it was about my high school boyfriend. And then you can like listen back and be like, and then I listened when I was in college and I used to imagine and apply it to my college boyfriend or whatever. And so it's like, there's a nostalgia to it. I also think in the last few years, becoming a Swifty has become less embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that I genuinely love Taylor Swift was like not a thing I would advertise because it was like, it was like the equivalent of wearing like a pencil skirt and a chunky necklace. It's like, oh, are you trying to girl boss? <laughs> like, what are you, you know, like it, it was something like a little cringy, but I feel like now in like the Eras tour, people have accepted like, oh, Taylor Swift is like an excellent songwriter and like the longevity of her career is not an accident. And like, she's actually speaking to a, you know, very specific experience that hadn't really been given voice before. And so I feel like, um, now that I am an adult with disposable income, I give less fucks about what other people think. I could afford, uh, incredibly expensive tickets to a concert that I road tripped out. I got tickets for LA and then I got impatient and sold them and bought tickets in Vegas and road tripped out. Oh, Wow. And, yeah, because <laughs> I was like, who knows where I'll be in August? What if I get <laughs> sick? I'm healthy now, and I want to see her now. Uh, yeah, so it was just like, it's a it's a delight. It is a club. Yeah. I'm not, like, crazy. I don't, like, have, like, a, a stay on a Twitter account or, like, I'm, like, a normal person But do, also. So you
1: would consider your relationship with her music, at least, to be sort of parasocial. Like, you feel like yeah. she gets you. Um, First.
4: And also, like, a part of the game of Taylor Swift is, like, even as she says, like, they're not about people like you do. You feel like, you know, this person, it's absolutely parasocial because it, they're like diary entries. And you're like, oh, my God, can you believe she felt this way about dating Jake Gyllenhaal? <laughs> <laughs> um, Megan, you are not a Swifty.
1: Um what do you, how do you feel like observing Swiftydom around you? I'm starting
5: to feel left out. <laughs> like, it's like <laughs> when she announced the new batch of dates, I was like, okay, I guess I'll go. She's going to my hometown now. So I'm like, I guess I'll go in Indianapolis in November, 2024. What a time that's going to be. Um, what date is that? <laughs> What,
1: what day in November?
5: It's uh, this is she is going like this far.
1: She's going to be touring for the next year. Like it's really. I, I It seems like um, it's something that has become bigger than even listening to her music because I listen to her music and I like it. I like it. I, I like it. I don't $700 going to a concert full of people who know every single lyric to every single song like it. But I like it. I like her. I, I think she's interesting and she's a good songwriter, Um, but it's become like a bigger thing. Like Alyssa pitched a pop culture related story. And I was like, what are you talking about? But there was a, a wedding this weekend in New Jersey that because yes. of swift mania ended up percolating all the way like through culture. Alyssa, can you talk a little about what happened with that?
0: Okay, so uh, Jack Antonoff and Megan Qualey Is
4: it Qualey or Qualley? Mar- Mar- Margaret. Mar- Mar- Margaret. Mar- Qualley. See, okay, and you guys see, all know
0: the name of the fucking person. Right. Okay, Barely. so I was <laughs> interested first off because I'm like, why are all these celebrities in New Jersey? That that was my first point of interest. And the second, I'm always curious about what people are wearing to a wedding. Uh, guys, Lana Del Rey, why did she wear white? That was not cool. Not I did not cool. think that was cool. Also, I mean, the dress itself wasn't my favorite, but like, that's not right. It's the
4: dating a cop of wedding attire.
0: <laughs> it 100% <laughs> is. And honestly, first of all, I love uh, pop culture wedding content always, but I couldn't get enough because then I had other like a, like like aged people. my my peer group starts posting who are like at the shore in New Jersey and they're just like get out of town you're making traffic happen and so I had to just keep watching and they were and the people who I follow apparently are not Swifties because they're like we don't fucking care about Taylor you're making traffic at the beach and so that is why I followed their wedding because I wanted to see what Taylor was going to wear and uh, who else might show up also love Andy McDowell I mean love Andy McDowell I
5: wish there had been love Andy McDowell the thing is I I didn't even know about this wedding until after the fact. And I had a friend who was at the wedding. Huh. What? Yep.
1: What? Doing
5: what? I had a friend. Uh, someone was at my wedding, was also at this wedding. And that's how little wow. I knew. I didn't even, I like knew they were out of town. And then I spoke to their boyfriend. They were like, yeah, they're at this wedding. Taylor Swift was there and she spoke. And I was like, what? <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> um, You know, the, the Taylor Swift thing, I think kind of brings to like, I don't know, brings to mind the fact that it seems like a lot of people's relationships with celebrities are a lot more parasocial now than they were. Like before we had access to people on social media, before people made a show of pretending to share. I mean, I don't think that people are actually sharing that much of their real lives. I think a lot of celebrities are making a show of pretending to share their real lives as a way to get more attention. Um, But like, parasocial relationships with celebrities have, you know, always kind of existed. And Megan, you don't have one with Taylor Swift, but I'm sure you have one with some celebrity.
5: Oh, yeah. Some of them not even celebrities. <laughs> like, <there's, laughs> like I saw a retired Colts player and offered him a kidney and started to weep. And like, he's not even that famous. Um, not famous really at all. If I saw Cher, I'd throw it all away for anything she needed me to do. Uh, there's even like, Real Housewives, like it ends up being and I don't know if this is something where it's like when you work in the biz, sometimes famous people become sort of downgraded to you because you've seen um certain famous people just like be monsters that you're like I'm not gonna put all my eggs in this basket but it's like when I see I I got like a cameo I mean even the fact that cameo exists is such a parasocial thing to be like uh Countess Luann will record you a message I'm like yep I need it um so (laughs) yeah for the housewives for athletes I I go hard
1: well, I, I actually think, you know, a lot of the conversation about parasocial relationships, it centers around, like, women's relationships with celebrities. And I cannot think of anything more parasocial than listening to an NFL podcast during the off season when they're not even at training camp. Like, and Megan, you're raising, I mean, but yeah. men do it all the time. And it's yeah. never like, hmm, is it okay that they're having parasocial relationships with, like, the coaching staff of their favorite team. And like, I, I'm, I'm very, very obviously kind of throwing shade at my husband who listens to Steelers podcasts year round. Um, but like, it's, it's just, I feel like there's a sort of, I mean, there's a sort of like sexism in the way we bifurcate what it is when men have a parasocial relationship with a celebrity and what it is when women have a parasocial relationship with a celebrity. Um, I just wanted to, you know, flag (laughs) that, um, Dana, do you have parasocial relationships with other celebrities besides
4: Taylor? I I think authors, I think like there's something very specific for me. It's less about the celebrity and more about feeling like you're hearing them talk directly to you. So I feel like I have a parasocial relationship sometimes with authors, sometimes with podcasters. I mean, for that reason, because you're hearing them joke around. And Taylor Swift specifically, I think she's very good at the, obviously it's incredibly curated, but she makes it feel very authentic where even if these stories are completely made up, like these anecdotes from relationships, like they're metaphors or whatever. Like she makes them feel in the details so specific that you're like, oh, she's telling me about this bad relationship she had or this good relationship she had. But for the record, I would never go to someone else's rehearsal dinner to try to get a glimpse of the celebrity. I would just pay six, you know, uh, $600 for for tickets to get a glimpse of her.
1: (laughs) Alyssa, how about you? Do you have parasocial relationships with celebrities? So I feel like my most uh, meaningful
0: parasocial relationship was from the early 2000s until about 20, 2007 or 2008. Um, I, I had dated someone who was uh, a, a very bad for me, very, very bad for very many years. And I knew that we should break up and I just didn't have the wherewithal. And I had been following Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt's relationship closely for quite some time. And when she and Brad took that trip to Anguilla and he had the trash sweatshirt on, you guys are all probably too young to remember this. uh, (laughs) They came back and they broke up. And I was like, if Jennifer Aniston can do it, so can I. Mm -hmm. And I tracked every, the minutia of their breakup, their divorce, her recovery, so much that when she I was like, I can do it. I had the Kitson Team Aniston shirt that I ordered, you know, like there wasn't even barely internet back then. I found the T-shirt and I had it sent to me. And when uh, the movie The Breakup came out, I went to go see it. It was Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn. And I went to go see it by myself because it was just me and Jen, obviously. I didn't need to (laughs) bring anyone else. I was with Jennifer. And when she, there's a particular scene in the movie where she starts crying And that shit is so raw. I was heave sobbing (sighs) in the movie theater. The usher came up to me and was like, Are you are you basically having a medical emergency? And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I just know what she's thinking and feeling right now. This is like I was so uh, overwhelmed and like I could never meet her in real life because of that whole scenario. Like I thought that she was like I I didn't think she was my friend, but I was like, she can do it. I can do it. If she can do it. I every Mm -hmm. time when she started dating John Mayer, I was like, girl, you go. And then he did her dirty. And I was like, fuck that guy. But that was that was probably that was my most memorable parasocial. I think my low key parasocial modern, anyway. Like Dana said, it was an author who uh, it was Jenny Han. Like I read, I am not I am not YA, obviously, but I love 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 her books, and I just I thought that I do think she's like the Judy Bloom of the 2000s, and so. But luckily, I wrote her an overly earnest uh, DM, <laughs> and we went out for drinks, so oh. everything was okay.
1: That's really, yeah. was that weird? Like, no. consummating
0: a pair of social No, because weirdly, <laughs> I felt like we knew each other. Like, it it makes no sense, but like, you know, and I think there was just something about her that I felt like, I just felt like as women of roughly the same age that we had similarities, That therefore it wasn't weird. You know what I mean? Right. And it wasn't. We had so much fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, I listened to this, um, I had to take a break from listening to this one podcast I listened to, which is like, it's called Last Podcast. On the left, everybody Mm -hmm. knows it. Very famous, kind of macabre, true crimey podcast. Some of them, I haven't listened to every single episode. Some of them I was like, nope, I'm noping out of that. That's too much for me to listen to. But I've listened to so much of that podcast that at one point, Marcus, who is the the kind of researcher guy, um, he narrated a dream I had. Like, wow. I, it was like Marcus at the end of my yes. dream and was like, and that's why it's time to wake up. And I was like, wow. I have to stop listening to this podcast all the time. It is, like, permeating my life. Um, and that being said, I am going to see them live uh, in, in L.A. in November. <laughs> uh, and I did get good seats. Uh, so, I mean, but the thing is, like, I feel like if I met you know, uh, I've mentioned Tori Amos on the show before. And I think that she Mm -hmm. has a similar relationship with her fans that a lot of like Taylor Swift fans have with Taylor. Like people feel like she was, she understands things that have happened to people and that people don't really talk about. And she sings about them. And, um, she, uh, you know, I feel like if I met her, I wouldn't, I don't want to meet her. Like, I don't, I don't know what I would do. I would like I would disintegrate. I I don't know what I would do. And like I don't know if I would want to ever like go out for coffee with like the host of that podcast I've listened to so many times. Like I wouldn't I don't think I would want to do that because it would just what I need I need there to be the distance so mm-hmm. that it's like a safe friendship that I sort of control if that makes yeah. any sense.
4: I um, sometimes get embarrassed um you know some people listen to Noble Blood which is my podcast and like I'm the only narrator, but it's fully scripted. And so I've had people like come up to me or say hi, which I always love, but I'm always incredibly self-conscious that I'm not as like smart or articulate or what they would expect because I'm not scripted in in real life. I don't like spend weeks researching and writing out every interaction before I have it. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I kind of do.
1: Megan, like, do you think that, Why do you think people fall into parasocial relationships? Like, what was the driver?
5: Yeah, mine kind of seems like the outlier. But what I'm, like, hearing from Dana and Alyssa, and I think this is true, is that they really end up connecting because of something going on in their own life. And Mm -hmm. and whether they see that mirrored in the person that they are attaching themselves to or they see them as aspirational of, like, okay— they got this badass barbie movie i can get barbie movie too and you know barbie <laughs> barbie movie it's like a promotion at trader joe's you know and then you are trader joe's barbie um so it's like we we are like seeing something that we need to be inspired by i rem- i yeah and i think we talked about this on the show but as we were like Thinking about it in terms of the the gendered part of it, remember how disappointed everyone was in John Mulaney, uh, where it's like yeah. we have actually started to be kind of critical of men. I think they get over it faster, but it's like. It was women attaching to John Mulaney because they were like, he's going to cheat on his wife. Well, if he's going to cheat on his wife, then my piece of shit husband's for sure going to cheat on me. Like that was sort of the subtext of like, we can't trust any men. And I think it was, I think it was mostly married women or women that wanted to marry someone like John Mulaney. Mm -hmm. And I
4: also, as someone who I think like, You're a stand-up comedian. Like, I think you totally understand when stand-up comedy is totally the art of pretending to be so vulnerable and off the cuff, even though it is highly scripted and Mm -hmm. controlled. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's kind of the end result of a parasocial relationship, being a celebrity Mm -hmm. as a figure. Like, it's not just for a movie. It is for being John Mulaney or for being Taylor Swift. Like, it's because you've curated this idea that the work you put out is a reflection of who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's it feels silly to be like, people get confused, but it's like, no, that's the point of the work. But mm-hmm. there are like then normal human boundaries. Yeah.
1: I feel like, I feel like um, men maybe have a little bit more freedom to make art and not have it be immediately thought of as a reflection of their personal exact experiences. And women, a lot of times, like, I mean, I think ev- even talking about like the Barbie movie, you know, I find myself when I watch art made by women or take in art made by women trying to like find pieces of like autobiographical information in the art that I'm Mm -hmm. taking in. Like, oh, I wonder if she made the choice to have uh, the boardroom at Mattel be all men because she walked into a boardroom in Hollywood and it was all men talking Mm -hmm. about whether or not this movie was going to get. But like if a man made that movie, I wouldn't have been like. At, I wouldn't have been like seeking by bi- like autobiographical information in it. And I think that's something that we do with like and John Mulaney, I think, is the exception to the rule. Um, and I guess Louis C.K. too, because when he kind of had his downfall, a lot of his fans were like, what? I thought he was exactly the guy he pretended to be on stage. And it, and was, it was like, like, like shocked- he
5: was. Were you not listening? <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> <laughs> were we not hearing the same jokes? Yeah. No, I mean. We got to do a stand-up episode. We really do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's so many of them. I can't keep up with them anymore. Um, Alyssa, how do we have healthy parasocial relationships? I mean, I think it's all
0: about like maintaining perspective, right? Kind of like knowing why you have it. You know, I think that even at the, even at the time of my parasocial relationship with Jennifer Aniston, I mean, like I never thought she was actually my friend. <laughs> I didn't actually think we were similar. You know, like it was more like I didn't have the courage to do something by myself. So I attached to her because she kind of like dragged me through it. Mm-hmm. Something I knew I needed to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think it's like a bit escapist and it's aspirational and it's it's like you just need to know. Like, I mean, I think the good thing is if I had ever seen her in person, I would have hidden behind a curtain. You know, like mm-hmm. I wouldn't <laughs> have like, tried to make out with her. I would have been like, oh, my God, it's her. Do you think she knows what I've been doing all
1: these years? You know, I, you know Alyssa, you know that she was backstage at a... At I a, know. I was, yeah, know. like, I think
5: I she know. would want to meet you. I think
0: she
1: would I be think yeah, she would yeah, really cool. You.
0: <laughs> she would be I starstruck by you. Oh, you guys, you you know what? Do you remember growing up the ILAC sign? I am a loving and caring person. Yeah. You... You just made my ILAC sign full. I don't have to pull any pieces off of it today because
1: someone hurt me. My ILAC sign
0: is fully intact. Thank you so
1: much. (laughs) Oh, man. Jennifer Aniston, if you're listening... Girl, d- DM Alyssa and let's let's get this going. Let's get this friendship <laughs> started. Um, something that I uh, something that I that I find kind of interesting. It, like uh, Megan, you touched on it, but we work, you know, in entertainment, and all of us have or in something adjacent to entertainment. Like Alyssa, you are around famous people. We've known them. Some of them are cool. Some of them are not. What I what I've found super interesting since I've been in like news, entertainment, media. Is that I will sometimes encounter somebody who a lot of people have a parasocial relationship with, mm-hmm. and the person when I encounter them, I'm like, oh man, these people cannot know you're that a this loser. Person is, <laughs> this person sucks, and sometimes I'll see gossip about like a certain a person that I like had a bad encounter with or like had a you know a bad run with, and uh, I I'm kind of like, oof, yeah, no, this isn't. And I, I wish there was, like, some sort of, like, parasocial relationship uh, debunking. Dumas?
5: <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> yeah. this is a, a dork in real life. But, and, it, and it, and it happens... It's so dangerous. It happens on the flip, too. I got sun poisoning when I was on spring break with my parents when I was 15. And the only thing playing in the hotel ro- room was Joe Dirt. And so I watched, I watched Joe Dirt for, like, five days in a row. And then David Spade became my boss. And he was so... <laughs> So amazing and so fun and so kind and like would come up to me and be like pajamas at work again, you know, like making fun of me to my face. And I was like, I cannot believe Joe Dirt is even better than I thought he was going to be.
1: <laughs> well, there you have it. Joe Dirt, even better than you thought. <laughs> Dana does not give a fuck if you judge her for being a Swifty. Alyssa about to be best friends with Jennifer Aniston and me. I need to listen to fewer true crime (laughs) podcast for my own mental health. Not even true crime podcast. That one true crime podcast. I need to listen to it less. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, sanity corner slash I feel petty. Stick around. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast that has never, not once, fallen for that hoax photo of a shark swimming along the 405. Zero times. Some announcements for the class. I don't know why that was kind of musical, but I'm feeling a little musical. If you're looking for a no-bullshit analysis on the Republican debates that happened last night, make sure to tune in to today's special Pod Save America episode. Hosts
0: Tommy Vitor and Ben Rhodes will be joined by Republican strategist Sarah Longwell to break down what went right and wrong for the contenders.
1: Listen to new episodes of Pod Save America on Tuesdays and Thursdays, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. The class has received the announcements. Now let's get to Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty, a.k.a. Sani Petty. Dana, lead us off. Sanity Corner, or are you feeling petty this
4: week? Sanity Corner. I uh, just got back a few days ago from a trip to Cornwall on the coast of England. Oh, yes. It was really beautiful. I had never been to that part of the country before. I had the best time. But my Sanity Corner is specifically the fact that I went to a an ice cream place <laughs> yeah. that only had one flavor of ice cream in a big old tub. And it was vanilla. And it was amazing. <laughs> wow. And I think what made me feel really good is I feel like in the age of, like, Instagrammable desserts and, like, everything needs to be, like, viral for TikTok. And, like, you want something new. You want something, like, colorful and big. I was just like, there was something so <clears throat> amazing about going to this place. It was called Gelbert's, if you're ever in Newland in Cornwall. And it was just a scoop. You could either get one scoop. The menu was like one scoop, two scoop, cup or cone. <laughs> and you could either get clotted cream on top or add a flake or both if you're really going Ooh. for it. And it was maybe some of the best ice cream I've ever had because they have just perfected it. They're so good at this vanilla ice cream. I was laughing because I had a parasocial relationship with
3: your
5: trip to Cornwall. <laughs> when, I said, when you said Cornwall and I was like, yes, it's like, I've never been. I'm probably never going. But I think I even replied to your ice cream thing that I was just like, wow, I bet ice cream in Cornwall's delicious.
4: It was so good. And didn't it look good? Like The clotted cream so on top got a little like, crystallized. It looks so good. How do we get clotted cream on ice cream in the I, States? It, we That's don't amazing. do. We
5: don't do clotted
4: cream I feel cream like well you have here. to bring your own. I feel like yeah. you have to bring your own.
1: I feel like clotted cream is a bad word. I don't like it. Yeah, I, I know. Like <laughs> it. I don't
5: like it sounds cream. like a
1: euphemism for period. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It really does. It sounds like a yeast infection or something. It sounds like a real bad that thing. That is and so gross. That's really sorry. gross. And I have so
5: many I, disgusting uh, things to say, and I'm just not.
1: And I would still <laughs> eat so- it. I yeah I just would pretend it had a different name you know like toad in the whole come on UK are your food a names spotted too?
4: dick They be spotted <laughs> dick too uh, what is that is it like a sausage what is it it's probably it's like a yeah. spongy it's, uh, <laughs> but know, my sanity know. corner is the ice cream everyone <laughs> okay. should have perfect vanilla seaside ice cream from a place that is just good at making one thing
1: okay Okay, I I like that. Okay, Alyssa, Sanity Corner or I Feel Petty? Sanity Corner, guys, Uh, it's
0: 2023 and I'm here to say I have finally discovered TikTok (laughs) and I have never felt so seen in my entire life. (laughs) The algorithm, oh my God, every time I turn on, it is just a delightful trip. I have lost hours every night because I save it. I don't TikTok during the day. I've never posted anything. I probably never will, but like, I've never posted anything. I rarely, I think, if ever have liked anything, but TikTok knows I love the Golden Girls, the Mrs. Roper caftan romp that's happening in, um, in Portland or Seattle right now. (laughs) They know that I love vintage ice skating, uh, ice skating videos. (laughs) Debbie Thomas and Katarina Witt. I mean, Jesus Christ, it was still East Germany back then. And I, open up and I just keep scrolling. I'm like, oh my God, there's nothing negative. The occasional conspiracy theory that I'm actually into. So no shame in that. Uh And I just, uh, I have never, I have never, I don't think ever enjoyed anything more. And the best part was I thought I was just like, you know, checking it out. And my good friend Gina texts me. She's like, so I see you've discovered TikTok. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, oh, your Instagram feed. That's right. Because I want to share everything I'm, I'm finding on TikTok. I just repost it to Instagram. So get ready because I did slow my roll. But the Debbie Thomas, Katerina Vit thing is coming later this week.
1: OK, good, good. You've got <laughs> yeah. it planned out. You've got. It I have planned it planned out. out. I have I to would slow say, down. The thing with TikTok is uh, once Eventually, you're going to come across something that is like gone viral that isn't necessarily something you're interested in. And you're going to be like, what's all this about? And you're going to go down a little (laughs) rabbit hole trying to figure it out. And it's going to fuck your algorithm up. Resist the urge.
0: I will. I will. Because I don't want anything, anything messing what I've
1: got up right now. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Okay, Megan, sanity corner or I feel petty? I am... Uh, sanity Corner. I was like, I am feeling petty,
5: but we can offline. Um, Sanity Corner, I have been absolutely loving this season of Project Runway All-Stars. Project Runway has been on for, I think, 20 seasons now, and it's had so many different iterations and, and judges and networks even. But this All-Stars is so inspirational. It has people from the original season one all the way up through season 19 people are getting to meet designers that inspired them to even believe they could be a designer. It's like very representative. There are three black women who make it into the final seven. Um, It's just like they are, they're all so talented outside of it. So it's not like these are designers that are like looking for their big break. They've like broken and now they're coming back and they're just making gorgeous fun clothes and christian siriano is the tim gun and it's just really so fun and it's helping me like do laundry and clean my house too mm-hmm.
0: megan i gotta tell you when i was many years ago about to get married uh my friends juliana cutter and ann if you're listening took me wedding dress shopping and i'm like guys it's got to be low key. This is really going to stress me out. They're like, don't worry. Unbeknownst to them, the first place we went, Austin Scarlett was having a trunk oh show. My God. And I show up at this place and I go into the dressing room and try on a dress. And I come out and there is Austin Scarlett. Oh. And he put me into a crystal encrusted peplum situation that required actual bungee cords to get me into. <laughs> but it was uh, I have always loved Project Runway. So I am going to check that out.
5: Oh my. oh my! Austin God. Scarlett is a ten. You went to you went to the wedding ten yeah. shop. It was a lot. Um, it was a lot. It, yeah, it's really been gorgeous. And like the the guest judges they're bringing in have been nostalgic. Jenny Garth was there, Alicia Silverstone, and then they had Julia Fox. Like it's all over the place, but it's fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'll have to check it out. Um. Okay, so I will go last. Uh, I'm doing Sanity Corner too, guys. Is this the first time we've been four for four? Yep, we need it. Corner? Summer 2023
5: 23 it. is a
1: bitch. It's been rough. Uh, I am just going to say uh, Mercury is in retrograde as of today through Virgo, uh, which is, you know. So just, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. Blame, blame the planets if things go wrong. It's not your fault. It's space. Space did it. Um, no, but here's what I'm feeling uh, my sanity corner. Shakari Richardson Yeah. is... Mm-hmm. Absolutely dominating at the World Track and Field Championships, she won the 100 meter dash. This was after a really tumultuous few years. Like early, she she ran for LSU. Everybody thought she was gonna, you know, make the Olympic team. She tested positive for marijuana, which is fucking not. not for, I know, I would also test positive for marijuana. It's, it is, she, she faced so many detractors, so many doubters. She was a really flamboyant and emotional athlete. And I think a lot of people just love to attack female athletes that are flamboyant and emotional and try to like bring them down. But she was, oh my God, uh, talking about your TikTok algorithm, my TikTok algorithm was just dominated <laughs> by her being awesome and being so like strong and so confident and it was so exciting to watch this athlete who had just been through the ringer be excellent like she was just excellent and um it was just i don't know like the only time i feel like jingoistic is when i'm watching like international sporting events when like the americans mm-hmm. that are competing in them themselves like are just like fun to watch so mm-hmm. yeah that was my sanity corner this week i have watched that um there's video of her running in one of the qualifying heats for the 100 meter where in the last second she like does this like flip thing with her hand as she's crossing the finish line and it is so cool like she's so cool. Um, I feel a little, a little parasocial because she's like I she's like twenty three years old or something like that. Yeah. I'm technically. Dream,
5: I'm gonna say yeah. dream br- blunt rotation. Alyssa yeah. Karen, <laughs> Akari, Dana. Um, she also ripped her own wig off. I mean, she's incredible. it was
1: awesome. She did, a, she did a yeah. She's amazing. She's so cool. She's so cool. And I hope that like I know I can just predict. What obnoxious types of people will try to bring her down? And I just, uh, oh, I hope she listens to absolutely none of them because she's so fucking cool. Um, And it was really exciting to just watch her dominate. There are a lot of good performances at the world championships in uh, Budapest, but uh, hers was to me the most, thrilling and exciting and, and like inspiring. So that's my sanity corner for this week. And that's all the time we have for this week's show. Dana and Megan, thank you for coming by. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Thank you to Professor Jenny Nuttle for coming by to talk about her book. And listeners, thanks to all of you. You're the reason we have a show. We love you. You're so smart. You're so cool. If you want to get in touch, hysteria at crooked.com. And there will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. And Alyssa Mastromonico is our co-producer. Fiona Pestana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. Our video producers are Rachel Gajewski and Megan Patzel. And thank you to Julia Beach, Ewa Okulate, Amelia Montooth, Adia Hill, and David Tolls for production support every week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter for more original content, host takeovers, and other community events.